action. Nothing was ever going to be the same. Danger. If I slip up or if I turn my eye for just one second, someone could get the drop on me. Adventure. The Amazon River, they have a version of everything in North America except bigger and scarier. You're listening to Sea Story. Episode 37, Take Flight. My name is Doug Beal. I'm from Prosper, Texas, and I'm a Rear Admiral in the U.S. Navy, and this is my sea story. Chapter 1, Flying Blind. I've been a naval aviator for 32 years now. I have 3,500 flight hours in Navy aircraft. I have flown both the A-6 Intruder and the F-18 Hornet. The Intruder and the Hornet were completely different airplanes. The Intruder was 1960s and 70s technology that was packed into an airplane with a lot of strap-on aftermarket automation. So that airplane was old technology and we used to say it was an analog airplane because really most of it was analog. The mission computer in it, for instance, was probably less powerful than the watch I'm wearing on my wrist right now. It was really that rudimentary. It even had electromechanical dials like the old-fashioned cash registers that would flip and roll and give you different digits in coded bins than the bombardier navigator would have to interpret and then tell me what he saw that they were saying. So everything in the aircraft was analog, everything in the aircraft was old-fashioned. It was almost romantic to be able to do something in that airplane that was so complex like flying it down low. When I was a brand new A6 Intruder pilot, that was an aircraft that was a medium attack bomber and it was an all-weather attack aircraft. It was Vietnam era at the time. It was getting ready to be phased out as I was flying the aircraft in its twilight years. But when I learned to fly that aircraft, you have to go through the school, of course, you have to learn how to fly it. And uh, one of the things they do is they put you out on your first night mission down low. At first, it's very disorienting. Uh, nobody wants to trust your instruments. Your inner ear tells you lies about where the aircraft is and what attitude you're in. After a while, you realize if you just play the video game, if you just do what the screen tells you you should be doing and ignore the sensations in your inner ear that tell you you might be upside down or that tell you you might be in a turn even though you're straight and level, just do what the instruments say. You start to realize, okay, I got this. Flying during the day, your primary sensor is your eye. Everything we do when we walk around is all about what your eye sees. That's about 80% of what gives you equilibrium. Your inner ear is that sort of lag mechanism that keeps you upright when your eyes are closed. It's not always accurate. So flying during the daytime comes very naturally. Flying at night, you gotta train yourself to do that. And you have to train yourself to ignore that 20% sensation from your inner ear. I found myself flying through the Cascade Mountains in western Washington on a military training route, low altitude, 500 feet at night. The aircraft had a bit of a video game system in it, if you will. You would literally fly a cartoon airplane down a cartoon mountain range in the screen in front of you. The only difference between it and a real video game is that you don't just lose a quarter if you crash the video game. But after a while, you start to get comfortable with it. And I had an instructor bombardier navigator sitting next to me. And I'm the pilot doing this for the very first time at night, in the weather, with no night vision goggles, nothing like that, just flying off the system. And it was an interesting moment. 
when I finally got the courage to sort of peek away from the display in front of me and to see, am I really doing this? And to see the shadows of these looming peaks on either side of me, probably three to 4,000 feet higher than me, with the moon lighting them up and casting a shadow, it was quite a moment. And I realized, oh my goodness, I'm doing this for real. I better not look at the mountains anymore. I better look at my display and keep flying the aircraft. Every day that I got to fly that airplane was a reward. Just getting it right, just doing it. And it was addictive. It was something that uh, when you did it once, you wanted to do it again because you realized, oh my goodness, I did this once. How good can I get at it? And that was really the exciting part of it. Chapter two, the platform. Summer of 1990, I joined USS Carl Vinson in the middle of her Western Pacific deployment. She was steaming around in the Indian Ocean between India and Australia, and the ship was in rough seas, probably 10 to 12 foot seas. I had never seen rough seas like this. I was a relatively new aviator. The ship was bouncing pretty big. I didn't realize until that moment that aircraft carriers could actually move like that. 95,000 tons of aircraft carrier, 1,000 feet long, floating around in the Indian Ocean and bobbing like a cork in high winds and high seas. So much so that when the ship pitches up, it gives you a nice plan form view of the landing area, the 600 foot long runway that's on it. And you get to see the runway in all its detail and glory as it faces you. And then when the bow comes down and the stern comes up, then uh, that runway literally disappears for a moment as the runway tilts away from you. So when you're a pilot, you're trying to chase that thing down in your aircraft because you're trying to land on it. The first thing that happens is you come into the overhead. So you're going to fly overhead the ship with the gear up in a clean configuration at 800 feet. You go about a mile upwind and you do a high G turn to turn downwind to set yourself up for a final turn that will put you three quarters of a mile on final for about 15 to 18 seconds of groove length looking at that landing area. That's the whole setup. In the meantime, you're also slowing from about 400 knots to about 140 knots, which is our landing speed. We get the flaps out, put the gear down, make sure that the hook is down, because without a hook, you're not gonna stop. So you do all those sorts of things. As I roll across the wake and through my last 45 degrees of turn, I should be lined up with the landing area, or if I can average out the movement of the landing area, lined up with what I would think is the final. And then uh, at that point, it's just trying to fly the visual landing aid, which is, the, we call it the meatball, so I'm flying meatball, line up, and I'm referencing my angle of attack on the aircraft for airspeed. High concentration, not a lot of time for any other thoughts. As opposed to what you might have seen in Top Gun, we don't carry around family pictures in the cockpit that we look at when we're landing the aircraft. We are out there outside looking at meatball lineup angle of attack, realizing that if we let any of those three things drop out of our scan, we may be going around and trying to that very landing, my bombardier navigator, after we touched down, said, hey, Woody, did you see the screws come out of the water that time? And what he meant was the propellers, the four propellers that are normally below the water line, the ship was bouncing so much that all four of them had come out of the water and were spinning before his eyes. In naval aviation, that's what separates us from Air Force pilots, from airline pilots, from air show aerobatic stunt pilots, off the coast of somewhere, there's a carrier doing that very thing. 
My favorite part about flying is flying. I don't think I could break it down into one specific part. That's like asking somebody, what's the favorite part of somebody you love? All of us get into naval aviation because it looks fun, and it is. You're flying at the edge of the envelope. You're really trying to hone your skills, but you're also doing it because it's fun. Taking an F-18 and getting the opportunity to plug in the afterburners and go straight up, and then when it slows down, as you get to the higher altitudes to pull it over the top and drop the nose and point straight down, flying formation, going out with a squadron mate and doing basic fighter maneuvering and pulling lead on that individual and shooting them with pretend bullets from your computer-generated gun sight, that is the best part about flying. I think naval aviation is a calling. I think aviation itself is a calling. If you feel called to do it, if there's something that's eating away at the inside of you that tells you that all you will be happy doing is flying, then it's definitely for you. If you want to hear more stories like mine, subscribe to Sea Story today. Coming next. This Marine helicopter landed aboard with a bunch of planners that came in and told us we were going to go do a very important operation that was going to get national attention. Sea Stories brought to you by America's Navy. Learn more at Navy.com.